We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Peter and the second chapter. The book of 1 Peter and the second chapter this morning, and I'll be reading and then preaching on verses 13 through 17. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 this morning. I invite you to read along silently as I read aloud. Here Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you for your kind providence in bringing us here today. And we would ask now for the work of your Holy Spirit, that he would guide us as we work our way through these verses and that you give us insight into their meaning and help us to believe them and to apply them in such a way that our thinking is renewed and our lives are transformed for the glory of God and for the good of your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning it's our privilege to return to Peter's teachings here in 1 Peter chapter 2. And last Sunday we were reminded as we considered verses 1, excuse me, verses 11 and 12 that we are merely spiritual sojourners or exiles on this earth. We are only here for a short time given that we are seeking a far better city, a city whose builder and maker is God. And as we are here, we are called to wage spiritual warfare wisely, and we are called to bear spiritual witness actively. For we are not here to become a part of this fallen world, thus the need for ongoing spiritual warfare. Nor, on the other hand, are we called to ignore this world completely, but we are to actively witness to it. And we mostly do this, according to Peter's counsel back in verse 12, by maintaining our honorable Christian conduct. By maintaining our honorable Christian conduct, and especially in the face of others who speak evil things against us and who misrepresent our motives. For if we live godly for Christ Jesus, we will be opposed. We will be opposed, and yet we are able to persevere in living honorably because we know that God is in control of all things. And thus, even as we experience opposition, even as we experience persecution, we know that God, by his mighty spirit, is powerfully at work. And it may just be God's wise and good pleasure to use our faithful and consistent witness under pressure 
to bring the lost to Jesus Christ. Of course, if you are among those who are lost this morning, if you are outside of God's grace, you need to realize, you need to recognize this morning that what separates you from those who suffer for their faith in Christ is the fact that they have something that is truly worth living and suffering for, and you do not. Or if you are living for yourself or living for the things of this world, you are investing everything in that which is merely passing away. You are rejecting what God has provided to rescue sinners from the darkness and the desperation of a life that is cut off from Jesus Christ, who alone can give sinners life and light. So if God in his great mercy gives you the spiritual sense to see this morning that you've been swept up and you've been carried away by the world that is under God's judgment and that you have no hope of deliverance apart from Jesus Christ, then flee in faith to Jesus Christ today. For Jesus Christ will not turn away those who are willing to trust in him, those who are willing to identify with him, and he will sustain you as his own, even if this world hates you, even if this world turns against you. And of course, if Christ has delivered you and he sustains you, which he is sustaining you, then you should see yourself as his witness, as his witness, as his representative, and to equip you, to equip me on how we are to witness to this lost and evil-speaking society, Peter now addresses the question here in verses 13 through 17 of how we are to do this in a way that truly honors God. And what is noteworthy here is that Peter does not instruct us here in our text to be confrontive, or to be combative in our approach to witnessing to others. He does not tell us to be confrontive or combative, but rather we are to witness primarily by our changed lives, by our willingness to submit to the order that God has established for our good and for his church that is always functioning in this hostile world by his grace. For we witness primarily through a life that demonstrates what spiritual freedom in Christ really means. What spiritual freedom in Christ really is. It is a life that shows respect for others. It is a genuine love for the brethren. It is a growing fear for God. It is a willingness to show others honor even if they don't deserve it. For these are the kind of activities that exalt God and the order that he's established. These are the kind of activities that open a wide and effectual door for the spread of the gospel. These are the kind of activities that truly impact society or a community for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is critical for us if we desire to be active witnesses during our exile here on this earth to understand what our duties are and to commit ourselves as God's people to fulfilling them. For there are certain duties that 
belong to us as professing Christians. There are certain duties that can only be fulfilled by us as genuine professing Christians. And let us notice that Peter mentions our first duty as witnesses of Christ in a lost society here in verses 13 through 15. For in these verses here in 1 Peter chapter 2, we read, Be subject or be submitting for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Hear this. This is the will of God. You say, what is God's will? Here it is. This is the will of God, Peter says, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So here, Peter reveals that the proof of our eagerness to do our duty actually begins with our own willingness to be in submission to the institutions that God himself and his great wisdom has ordained for man's well-being and for our ultimate good as his people. For although this present world is passing away and this society is passing away with it, God has a clear purpose for the institutions which he has established. Institutions such as the family and marriage, and civil government, and civil order, and even the Christian church, which is a spiritual institution under the headship of Jesus Christ. And all of these institutions, which still exist by the grace of God in our society today, exist for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to honor the order that our wise God has designed and created and to ultimately provide a structure to provide a platform for the forward advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For every institution that God has formed for our common society is in some direct manner intended to convey our need for special grace our need for salvation through Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we should be the first ones to support, to actively promote these institutions that God has established for society's good. For although these institutions are impacted by those who don't know the Lord, and these institutions are far less than perfect institutions, nevertheless, as believers, as those who believe in the sovereignty of God, as those who believe in his providential control over all things, are to be submitting to these institutions. We are to pray for them. We are to work within them for the glory of God. Whereas Peter states here in verse 13, we are to be subject to them or submitting to them for the Lord's sake. And this is a very important truth for us to consider. For no doubt, the easiest way for us to destroy our witness in society would be to work towards undermining those things 
that God has established for the common good. Sadly, what is sometimes heard from some who claim to be Christians today sounds like a call to do away with our basic institutions, as if our role is to subvert rather than to be subject to them. And yet we need to understand that this is not what we are called to do. Peter does not say here in verse 13, notice this, he does not say detest the institutions that now exist because they are all corrupt. He does not say tear down those institutions and establish what you now perceive as better institutions. But rather, Peter says here, submit to these institutions, be subject to them for the Lord's sake, for the honor of his name, for the progress of the gospel. Recognize the purpose that they serve. See the opportunities that you have within them to promote the gospel and model what it means to be a Christian who submits fully to God's appointed order. For while our true citizenship is in heaven where Christ is now, you and I are called to be good citizens in human society. We are to see God's hand behind and within God's institutions. We are to be subject to those whom God has appointed over us in the civil realm as well. In fact, we see here, moving on to verse 14 of 1 Peter chapter 2, that Peter refers to our obligations to submit to the emperor as supreme or to the governor or the civil magistrate as one who has been appointed by God to punish evil and to praise good. This is the same message that Paul emphasized to us back in Romans chapter 13, isn't it? The very same message. Peter and Paul are on the same page. That shouldn't surprise us. They both see the sovereignty of God in the same way. They both see God's providence unfolding in the same way. For God's people, above all people, are to truly be committed to order and peace. And they should understand the need for representative rulership from God. For without a means to punish evil, for example, without a means to praise good, all of human society would quickly become unraveled. Therefore, Christians should support their civil leaders. Christians should regularly pray for their leaders. They should submit to them to the extent that God's word plainly commands them and encourages them to do so. For Peter states plainly here in verse 15 of First Peter chapter 2, this is the will of God. There's really no question in this matter. We shouldn't have to ask or to search for the will of God to be revealed. This is what God commands us to do as a part of our ongoing witness to him, to be submitting to those who are tasked with upholding the public order and promoting its well-being. Not only this, but Peter reveals once again here in this chapter that our commitment to doing good is often used by God in dealing powerfully with those who do not believe and who need to be silenced. 
Notice that. There are some who need to be silenced. And how are they to be silenced? Not by a slug of the fist, but by the testimony of a submitted life. Truly, there are some who desire to discredit our witness as Christians. There are some who look for reasons to portray us as civil rebels and religious lawbreakers, as those who have no regard for what is just and decent in society. But that's not true. That's not true of us. We are not rebels. We are not lawbreakers. Rather, we are good doers. Peter encourages us here in verse 15 of 1 Peter chapter 2 with the assurance that when we are subject to the institutions that God has ordained for good, when we are being submissive to those whom God has tasked with these duties, God will use our witness to silence the ignorance of foolish people. God will use our witness to expose their falsehoods for what they are. For when our obedience is so evident that it cannot be denied by others, then those who speak against us will be quickly revealed as the fools that they clearly are. And the lies and the evil speaking against us will cease, for nothing will silence the lies and the falsehoods of our enemies like a life faithfully lived in submission to God's order. So our first duty as active witnesses of Jesus Christ before a lost and confused society is to honor the order and the institutions that God has so wisely ordained for our good, to pray for, to work within that same order for the forward advancement of the gospel. Then secondly, brethren, if we are to fulfill our calling as witnesses, in a society that is desperately in need of Christ and of the power of the gospel, we must live as those who know and enjoy their freedom in Christ. We must live as those who know and enjoy their freedom in Christ and who do not abuse that freedom in any way. Peter writes here in verse 16, notice what he says, live as people who are free, free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And needless to say, this is an important command because the real essence of the Christian message, the true nature of the Christian life revolves around this concept of freedom. This concept of freedom is at the very heart of the Christian message, the very heart of the Christian life. And, and not freedom in the sense of physical freedom only. For it's highly likely that many who were hearing this letter from Peter read were still living and serving as physical slaves. In fact, Peter addresses them as slaves in verse 18, which we'll examine Lord willing, next week. And yet Peter can still speak to them here in our text in verse 16 as living as people who are free. Free inwardly by the grace of the gospel. 
free inwardly by the power of the Spirit. And that is because, as I mentioned earlier, the very essence of the gospel is that there is freedom through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself declared in John chapter 8 and verse 32, with reference to himself and his message, and you shall know the truth, truth about me, the truth about salvation, and the truth shall set you free. The nature of the Christian life is exactly the same. It is grounded in freedom, for the Christian is free from the curse of God's law. The Christian no longer fears its condemnation. The true Christian is free from the fear of man, for Christians know that while men may harm their physical bodies, it is God who is able to preserve both body and soul for heaven. Furthermore, the Christian is free from the doctrines of men. The Christian is free from those oppressive man-made traditions and false teachings that would keep us spiritually bound and confused. We are free to obey God and God alone. The Lord is the Lord over our conscience. Then lastly, we are free to serve. Set loose to use our gifts and graces for him. We have within us the, the spirit of God. And where the spirit is and operating, there is true liberty. There is true freedom. Therefore, if we would be truly effective as witnesses for Christ before a society that is ignorant of what true spiritual freedom is, and in need of proof that Jesus gives it, we must walk. We must live our lives, as Peter says here in verse 16, as people who are free. Free. Free at last. As people who know what it is to walk in the light of God's acceptance. Who seek and serve God not out of fear, but out of gratitude. For unbelievers will not be drawn to those who are burdened down in bondage and who approach their faith purely as a legalistic duty, but they will be, unbelievers will be effectually and powerfully drawn to those who enjoy their spiritual acceptance, who enjoy their spiritual privileges in Jesus Christ, and who joyfully use their liberty for his service. Christ has not freed us, Peter states here in verse 16 of 1 Peter chapter 2, so that we might use our freedom as a cover-up for evil or as a license to keep sinning, but rather Christ has freed us, Christ has saved us, Christ has accepted us, Christ has filled us with his spirit, Christ has given us the liberty to serve him with grateful hearts, so that it will be obvious and plain and apparent to all society that we live, as Peter says here at the end of verse 16, as servants of God, willing servants of God. For a true Christian who understands his or her liberty in Jesus Christ seeks opportunities to demonstrate who he or she freely and gladly serves. And he does so, she does so, in such a way that they do not neglect or waste those opportunities. 
May we use our freedom in the service of God, wherever God has placed us, to witness to the power of God at work within us. Then let us notice here at the rest of our text, namely in verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2, that Peter gives us four additional commands. Four additional commands which assist us in in demonstrating the love of Christ and our reverence for God and for his ways before a lost and needy world. For Peter first urges us here in verse 17 to honor everyone. Notice that, to honor everyone. And no doubt Peter's purpose here is to instruct us on how we are to treat those who are especially in need of the gospel. How are we to treat them? Well, we are to treat all men, whether they are Jew or Gentile, slave or free, with the utmost respect and dignity. As individuals who, while clearly lost and in need of salvation through Christ, are still in the image of God. Yes, that image is marred, but it is there nonetheless. And it's important, brethren, that we understand this. It's important that we walk in wisdom concerning this, for who are we to disregard? Who are we to look down on the lost who Jesus came to seek and to save? Who are we to disrespect those who are outside of grace simply because we know Christ and they do not? Who made us their judge? What right do we have to turn away from them if you and I are not giving them the gospel? No, brethren, we are to show honor to everyone. We are to recognize them. We are to respect them as God's image bearers, no matter how flawed and depraved that they are, remembering that we are flawed and depraved, remembering that we are only what we are by the grace of God. Truly, there is no greater way that we can honor all men, and especially those who are outside of Christ, than by presenting to them the gospel in a gracious and respectful manner, which is not to say that we should extend false praise to unbelievers, which is not to say that we should refrain from speaking to them about their sin, because we should speak to them about their sin, but we should treat them with dignity, with sensitivity, with a genuine desire to see good come to them through the gospel. Then secondly, here in verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter urges us to love the brotherhood. To love the brotherhood. For while we should demonstrate genuine respect and compassion for all, we should possess a particular love, a special fondness and affection for our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. For the spiritual bond that we have for one another is stronger than any physical bond that may exist. And the love that we have for one another, a love that comes from the Holy Spirit, a love that is a gift from him, to us as his people, should be evident. It should be obvious to all who observe us. And by the way, people are observing us. Because we claim to be believers. 
They need to see that evident and obvious love among us. There is nothing that sets forth the beauty of Christ's love for us before a lost and confounded world like the presence of genuine love within his own church. No doubt this is why Jesus commanded his disciples in John 13 in verses 34 and 35 to love one another even as he loved us so that all people would know that they were, his disciples were, and that we, his disciples today, presently are his disciples. For how can the church of Jesus Christ testify through the power of Christ's love to change lives and to impact society if it is not possessed of and motivated by the same love that Jesus openly manifested to us. Oh, dear brethren, let us rejoice. Let us thank God for the love that Jesus Christ has shed abroad in our hearts. But let us pray for even greater love among us, that this city, that this county might sit up and take notice that we not only preach about the love of God, but we walk in the love of God as well. Then thirdly, Peter states here in verse 17, that if we would witness for Christ effectively in our society, we must fear God first. We must fear God first. And I take this statement in this context to mean that it should be obvious to all men that we as a people fear God and seek to please him. We fear God and seek to please him. And how is this healthy fear of God to be manifested? Well, no doubt it is to be manifested, first of all, in the way that we as an assembly worship. In fact, I'm convinced that the greatest witness that we can have to the city of Bonham is having Christ-centered, God-centered worship. For our worship is to be God-centered, and it should point men to God. This should be a place where people know that they can hear about God, that they can experience the presence of the Spirit of God here because of the way that we honor God in worship. Furthermore, we demonstrate a healthy and balanced fear of God by the way that we hear and receive God's Word. We are to take the Word of God, which we're hearing right now, by the way, Seriously, we should tremble under the sound of it. In fact, I would encourage you at some time when you have an opportunity to study Isaiah 66 and verse 2 and read what God says. He does for those who tremble at his word. Do we tremble? We should receive the word of God, with, with meekness and humility. We should not just hear the word, but obey it. As James says in James chapter 1 and verse 22. Then lastly, here in verse 17, Peter informs us that to witness effectively by the way that we live before a lost and needy world, we should honor the emperor, or as some versions of the Bible render this, we must honor the king. At first, this might sound like a strange command to include here, to honor the king or to honor the emperor. Why does Peter give this command 
given that so many kings were godless men, men who openly opposed the gospel. In fact, you know who the emperor was when Peter was writing this epistle? The emperor was Nero. You know, the Roman emperor who burned Christians in his garden? Honor the emperor, Peter said. How could Peter write such words? Well, no doubt one reason we should honor the king or the emperor is because God sovereignly appoints those who rule over us, and we should honor those whom God in his wisdom appoints. But most likely in this context, we should honor the king, honor the emperor in hopes that he too might come under the power of the gospel. That we, by showing honor and respect for his office, might gain an audience for the gospel. And that through his influence, which is given to him by God, we might continue in peace our witness for God's truth. In fact, I'm a study, excuse me, I'm a, I'm a student of church history. I know many of you are. And it's really interesting when you read the great treatises of the Reformation that oftentimes when the writers will pen a great treatise in defense of the Reformation, they always write first a letter to the ruler, to the king or the emperor, indicating their prayers for the ruler, that God would use their treatise, that God would use their letter as a way of opening the door for the free exercise and flow of the gospel. You see, brethren, we need to exercise wisdom and spiritual discernment in our efforts to win over our society for Jesus Christ and making the emperor, making the king our enemy, are using our pulpits only as weapons against him doesn't further the cause of the gospel. The pulpit is the place where we declare Christ and him crucified. The pulpit is not the place where we have fried emperor or fried presidents or rulers on a regular basis. There may be a time when seeking to keep the way open for the gospel that faithful men of God may need to speak out about their leader's but we must always honor the emperor or the king's place in God's created order. We must always pray for him. And maybe if we would pray more, we would see more good done than if we merely rail about one policy or another. Railing on and on is a poor substitute for prayer. And if we want to move the emperor's heart, we want to change the president's heart, we need to pray fervently for what God only can do. Lastly, in concluding today with these words about the emperor or the king, let us remember always that we are admonished never to put our trust in princes. I have to say this. So Psalm 146. 
We are never to put our trust, our absolute confidence in princes, but in the God of Jacob. In the God of Jacob. For mere earthly rulers, whether they be emperors or kings or presidents, will fail us. They will promise us one thing and do another. They will promise us freedom or liberty, but the truth is they can't even rule themselves in many cases. They only have a delegated power that God alone extends to them, and therefore we need to be wise and pray for them. We need to be wise in whom we choose to serve. Oh, my dear friends, do not allow sin or this world to dictate or to decide for you where your ultimate allegiance will be. But seek the Lord, the God of Jacob, while he may be found, and be submitting to him and to all the commands of God for the Lord's sake. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace this morning. We thank you for the plainness of your word. We thank you for its force and its power. We would ask that the word that we have just heard this morning would indeed take root in our hearts and bear much, much fruit. Father, you've called us into this society, into this order that you've established to be witnesses for you, and we would ask for the grace to do that. We would ask for the sober-mindedness and seriousness of thought to fulfill this mission. We would ask for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to enable us to obey all these commands and these responsibilities, to fulfill these duties in such a way that the gospel is advanced in our time and in our day. We pray that you'll have mercy upon us, your people, and have mercy upon your churches. Have mercy upon our land. Have mercy upon our leaders. Oh, how we need the work of the Spirit desperately in this day. May you be pleased to grant these things for your own honor and glory. May we ultimately recognize you as the sovereign supreme as the one we owe our ultimate allegiance to. So bless us now. Apply your word to our hearts by your spirit, as only the spirit can. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.